All right. Uh, friends, let us uh, pray. Let's pray before we start. Father, thank you for your uh, word uh, that comes to us um, in the person of Jesus Christ uh, through scripture. And I, I pray that tonight we would be able to encounter uh, Jesus as we talk with one another. I pray that uh, his presence and uh, his beauty would be um, manifest to us as we talk, that this class could be more than just uh, information gathering, uh, but it could be worship for you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. So um, we talked on Sunday about judgment, Jesus Christ coming to judge the living and the dead um, and why that's good news. Um, and so hopefully you've got a chance to listen to that if you were with the kids on Sunday, which several of you were. Um, and uh, the, the basic good news was that Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead, and that will be the best thing that ever happens to us. So the truth of uh, the second coming is that when God renews uh, the heavens and the earth, that his, the presence, the personal presence of Jesus will be central to that new creation. Um, that Jesus wasn't uh, someone who is sort of... Uh, it wasn't, he, Jesus didn't, Jesus wasn't sent to sort of temporarily fix a problem. Like Jesus is now like the center and focus of new creation. Um, and so he's been raised to the dead, raised from the dead. He's now in heaven, ruling and reigning the cosmos from heaven as a human being, fully God, fully man, still, and for all eternity. Um, uh, ruling and reigning from heaven. And he will one day come again to judge the living and the dead and establish his kingdom on heaven, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's kind of the, you know, the, the gist of, of what we talked about on Sunday, that we live between the ascension and the appearing. It's uh, two New Testament words there. The ascension and the appearing, the parousia, the, the coming of Jesus Christ personally, physically, bodily, to be the, 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 the center and focus of new creation. Um, and part of what he'll do is judge uh, the living and the dead, which we talked about is to discern or to separate, um, to separate the good from the bad. And why that's good news for us is that uh, that's not just good and bad people. That's actually in each and one of our own hearts. Um, we are a mixture of good and bad. And sometimes we, most of the time, we're not transparent to ourselves. We can't tell oftentimes what's good and what's bad. Most of the times our instincts uh, lead us in the wrong direction. We think we're doing something good, right? And then, you know, we come to find out that actually that did harm that we were not expecting. Or sometimes our biggest mistakes end up bearing unexpected fruit um, in, in the wisdom of God's providence. So Jesus Christ will come back uh, to judge the living and the dead. It'll actually be the best thing that ever happened to us because he'll sort, it, he'll sort us out and the person doing the judging is Jesus Christ uh, himself, who is full of grace and truth. Um, but there, there is a word in that, right, of uh, that grace, even as it, as it hits us, it, it does its own dividing. Um, and so as Isaac the Syrian um, surmised that maybe heaven and hell are the same place. That's uh, just two different ways of responding to the love of God. So... So anyway, uh, I'd love to, I've got a couple questions here that we could uh, talk about, but I'd love to hear from you guys um, if, uh, if you've got questions or if you've got uh, observations, if you've got uh, stuff that came up for you uh, about this topic uh, that you want to talk about. All right. Let's, 
Let's start with Ryan's question since he posted it in the chat. That's awesome, man. Uh, do you want to just, why don't, why don't you just uh, unmute yourself, Ryan, and, and tell us what the question is. But it's super helpful to know that you've got one. Uh, so don't, if, if you guys, if you guys want to do that, that'd be great. Put it in the chat. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so uh, when you talked about, in particular, uh, the possibility of heaven and hell being like the same place, the passage that came to mind for me was Matthew 25, where uh, there's a separating of the goats and the sheep, and then um, one is kind of thrown out, the goats. Uh, and there's other passages where Jesus tells parables about the kingdom where it seems like that type of thing happens, where somebody gets thrown out of the party or that type of thing, where there's... Um, there's, there seems to be a separation uh, where some people get thrown out. Yes. Yeah, so the question is like, uh, what, like, so is the question, like, like, keep going with that question. So what's the question about that then? Um, well, I don't know if I have like a well-formed idea of uh, what I think this all looks like or plays how it plays out. Mm -hmm. um, but just kind of, uh, it sounds like there is kind of like a, a judging where some are thrown out of uh, whatever, um, you know, heaven or whatever you want to call it, um, where there's a sense of there's the righteous and then there's people who are not righteous who aren't included in being with God and God's yeah. people. Yes. Yes, and is that uh, are you are you think are you thinking that that's in contrast to something that uh, that was proclaimed? Is, is that sort of in your mind? Is that in contrast to heaven and hell being the same place? Two different ways of responding to the love of God. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you. I just was trying to understand what you were what you were getting out there. So, uh, does that make sense to everybody else? Does anybody else have any questions about that question? <laughs> Not to get too meta. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think in my, uh, I'd, lo I'd love to hear if others have thoughts about this as well. Um, but in my mind, um, whether or not, I, I think the point is less about space, like who's in what space. Um, and it, and it's, it's probably more about, uh, why they're responding in the way that they're responding. Does that make sense? So, so for me, like, you know, it's a little bit uh, fantastical maybe to imagine that heaven and hell are the same place and it's just two ways of responding to the love of God. And I don't know that the point necessarily in thinking like that is, is, to, is to speculate on whether heaven and hell are two different locations, right? Or like how we think about heaven and hell, you know, all that kind of stuff, which, and we have to deal with this, like, uh, I'll let Matt do it in a future sermon, but we have to deal with this, um, uh, this whole idea, the whole, our whole concept of hell and heaven has been informed so much by uh, like Dante and like the medieval, you know, pictures of all this stuff. So, so it's, it hasn't necessarily been formed by scripture. We've, we've taken some thing that we think we know what it is. And then when scripture translates a word hell, we think we know what we're seeing you know, there when actually there's three or four words that are translated hell and they all mean different things. And, you know, a lot of it's hard to kind of even understand what, what the ancient mind thought about the, some of these things. So, so anyway, I guess, I guess in bringing up uh, for me 
in bringing up Isaac the Syrian and talk, talking about maybe a little fantastically about heaven and hell are the same place, I think it's actually the same point as in Matthew 25, where Matthew 25 is a sorting out, right, of people who've responded to, you know, opportunities in different ways, right? Um, and so I think that's kind of the same point uh, that, that I'm that I'm hoping comes across in, in thinking about heaven and hell is the same place that I, I think it's, it's more faithful to the vision of the new Testament to say that God's love comes to each of us and his love judges us, right? His love sees and it discerns. And as, like we read in the gospel passage, um, light has come into the world, but people love darkness more than light. And so the reason people end up in hell, whatever that means or wherever that is, uh, doesn't have to do with God making a judicial edict about them. It has less to do with God saying, you failed the test, therefore you're being punished in hell. And it has more to do with how people respond to God's invitation. Right? It has more to do with God saying, do you want to live in my kingdom? And people saying, no. <laughs> right? And God honoring their choice. God saying, hey, like, you can have what you want. Like, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, you know, ultimately, ultimately, everybody either gets to say, your will be done to God, or God has to say to them, okay, have it your way. Maybe it was with Dallas Willard who said that. Um, but that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I'm getting at. But I, but I do think, you know, ultimately, God's going to divide us, right? But I do think there, there is some provision made where, like, you know, there is some sort of provision made where God's like, Hey, you can, you can enter into the presence of love if you want, but if you don't want to, like, I'll be patient, you know, or I, like, you know, I'm not going to make you do this essentially. So that's some of how I read Matthew 25. Anybody else have a thought or perspective on that a question about it? Yeah, it, that really intrigued me on Sunday. I had never um, heard of Isaac the Syrian. Mm -hmm. And so I actually looked him up. Looked him up. Read, looked him up yeah. read a bunch of stuff. I looked him up, I thought, because that was such a, a different thing. And like Ryan said, you know, mm -hmm. just this, I don't understand this, that we're all in the same place, that heaven and hell is the same space. And I mean, mm -hmm. and, but there was, a, there was a little different look at it. Um, on the on the website and it was basically what what they were saying was that we're in the same place we're all in reality yeah. and in that sense we're all yeah. we're all in the same place we we are where we are yeah and um but some people hate it that's their hell mm -hmm. and others love it because they're yes. they love the light like mm -hmm. like you said that and the others love the darkness and so that's yeah. the same that in that sense it's that we're all in reality. And so yes. we will always, always be in reality um, together, whatever that space looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it's not as much to me, it was like not as much about the space yeah. as it was in realizing that it's the choice that we've all made. So you're, you're talking about that. We already, um, um, those that are condemned are, be, are condemned because of their choices. To, yeah. to not walk in the light, they've chosen to turn away, yeah. um, and yeah. it's it's their it's their choice. And yes. um, so that to me, that was more 
that was more of an important thing than about the, the space issue, although that intrigued me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, the image that comes to mind is like, it's not that God's blocking people from something they want, from something good that they want. He's allowing them to stay outside of something they don't want. Mm. You know what I mean, so mm. even in like Revelation 21, 22, when it says like, you know, God, you know, here's, here's the river of life, you know, flowing from the throne and all that kind of stuff. But then it does say outside are the dogs, the idolaters, the sexually immoral, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. It says outside are those people. Um, and I think I always read that as like, oh, God's keeping them out of the good place, mm. you know. Um, but, but like you can just as easily read it like they're outside because they want no part of it. Yeah. They do not want to go in there, you know. Well, like Isaac of Syrian, uh, the Syrian said, he said, hell is locked from the inside. Yeah. 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 That's so great. They've locked themselves in because they don't want that. But God's right. love doesn't stop at the door that right. they've locked. God's love is still there, and but that makes them all the more. Um, yeah, not they wanting. want to get away from it. It's, they want to right. get as far away as possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Nancy, what you're talking about, and this this is a really strong component of the Eastern Church. Yep. So they talk about God's love. So when Deacon was a little kid, um, I got I put him around fire really early. Uh, and uh, taught him how to honor fire. And so we talked a lot, like when he was two, three, four years old, about how fire is dangerous. But if you honor it, it's helpful and beautiful and good. Mm. And so it can burn you, right? It can blind you. Mm. Um, but if you, if you honor its power, it benefits you. And so the Eastern Church has this image of God's love being a red-hot river of fire. Mm. And depending on whether you honor his love, it either like fills you with light and warmth or, or consumes you. Yeah. yeah and I think, um, I don't know. I'm not sure it's like the truest thing we could say right. about how this all goes down, but it's a really helpful corrective for me from sort of, sort of like Dante's Inferno kind of understanding of how things go down, which I don't think is, it may be communicated some important things 450 years ago yeah. but that doesn't doesn't do good work for me in terms of making sense of all this yeah. um I, I just say one other thing too ryan about matthew 25 um <clears throat> what's interesting to me is of all the gospel writers matthew has the strongest language of punishment and judgment like you're like we see in matthew 25 mm -hmm. like um and there's, uh, he's also one of the most Jewish gospel writers. So there's a connection there. There's a Jewish tradition that he's operating in that has that conceptual language scheme that does work in that world. And I think we'd have to do a lot of unpacking and exegeting and hermeneutics to kind of get at that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to lose it. I mean, I think there is a sorting and a separating. Um, mm -hmm. But there's this amazing... So I want to say two things about this. There's this amazing confidence Jesus gives to others' agency in his ministry. Yeah. Um, to his own detriment, right? Like, um, sometimes we think of Jesus as this masochist who just came to die. And he wasn't. He was scared to death to die. You know, he didn't, didn't honestly didn't want to. 
<laughs> like he knew he had to. But when faced with his death, he was scared to death. Um, and, but, but he, instead of like thwarting people's agency that led to his death, he empowered and enabled their agency. And so there's this, I think we, we, have to, we have to hold Matthew 25 where we see kind of this sorting and this pronouncing happening. We have to hold it under the light of, of the entire like witness of revelation and just saying like, you know, how does God, what, what is God's judgment? What does God's judgment consist of? Um, and then I would just say too, like, I think this text is interesting on another level in the sense that the final judgment seems to not honor Martin Luther's Ordo Salutis, <laughs> you know, the final judgment here is based upon how you treated people who were hurting and needy. Yeah. Right. So the judgment is based upon works here. And Jesus clearly states, because people ask, you know, why is this happening? And he, and he doesn't say, well, you didn't believe in justification by faith. <laughs> he says, you didn't do these good, these good things. So there's just, I mean, it, I think Matthew 25 presents all kinds of theological questions for us mm-hmm. that, we, that challenge preconceived sort of givens. Yeah. Uh, and the one you mentioned is just one of them. The other interesting thing, not to get too far into the weeds, but the other interesting thing about Matthew 25 is it is the end of Jesus' response to a very specific question, which had to do with when the temple was going to be destroyed. <laughs> so, so there's that as well, that, that uh, Jesus never actually spoke directly about his second coming. That's something that Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers wrote about. Now, we can apply this passage to that, I think, in a legitimate way, but a lot of the passages that we think are talking about the end times in the New Testament are actually Jesus explicitly answering questions about the temple and and basically Jesus prophesying the destruction of the temple. And so it's using apocalyptic metaphorical language, the son of man coming in the clouds, it's all from Daniel, like that there's going to be a vindication of everything that Jesus had been prophesying to Israel, which was, uh, this is what he said to them, you know, weeping on his way into Jerusalem. If only you had listened, if only you had turned from your violent ways, uh, you know, you would have known peace, Hmm. but you're not going to know peace. Like, you know, the disciples are impressed with the temple and Jesus says, not one stone will be left on another. And the disciples are like, what, what are you talking about? When is this going to happen? And then Jesus starts talking in, in these gospel, in the synoptics about when this is going to happen, what's going to happen. Um, and so there's probably analogs to, you know, the other, other times, you know, when, when things have been hard for Christians, right? When things have been hard for followers of Jesus. But, you know, you talk to anybody who's from a, a region where Christians are persecuted and they'll, you know, they'll read the end of the gospels, right? And they'll be like, well, that's, yeah, that's our life that's not the end times. That's our life right now. Like that's how we live. You know, people chase us around and try to kill us. So So anyway, the second coming, we can't, we can't go to the gospels actually to, to think about the second coming. We have to go to Paul and uh, you know, first Corinthians 15 and first Thessalonians and different things, different places like that. Good. Um, I just wanted to mention, Andrea mentioned in the chat uh, about the great divorce by C.S. Lewis. Um, that, that was a huge, that's not a work of, 
well, it's a work of imaginative theology, I guess. Um, but I love, uh, Andrea, that you pointed out that it's, um, it's a compelling and powerful depiction of God in relationship with, with people. Because I, I think that's the crux of the issue. The, the problem that people have is the, is the way that people, the, the, the way that we've depicted God is that he's trying to get as many people into hell as possible, right? <laughs> that there's like, like, he's like, man, if you did, like, I'm going to set up these rules. And if you follow them perfectly, then great. You know, if you believe in Jesus and you do all this stuff, you know, but, but if you die before you hear about Jesus, well, ha ha, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So, um, but the great divorce presents a, like a beautiful imaginative picture of why people aren't in heaven, like why they're outside the gates. And in every single case, they're outside the gates because they, they don't want to go into that place because of what it would mean for them. You know, there's one guy who doesn't want to forgive the person who murdered, I think is his best friend. And he doesn't want to go into heaven because both his best friend and the guy who murdered him are there and they're friends now. <laughs> right. And you know, the person they've got all these, you know, it's kind of funny because they take the people from hell, take bus tours to the edges of heaven. And then they, they're met there by a sponsor, you know, like somebody's like, Hey, you should come to heaven. You know, like, it's great. Come, come. Um, but nobody ever wants to go because I'm not going to be in any place where that guy is, right? There was somebody else that was an artist who thought of himself as a great artist, right? And, you know, the sponsor was like, you know, let's be honest, you were, you were mediocre, but it's okay. Like, you, you know, infinite happiness awaits you. Like, you don't need to be a great artist to have a great life here. You're like, come on. But the artist is like, no, nah, I think I'll go where people appreciate my art. So, so anyway, I, it's, it's funny. Like, it's kind of laugh out loud funny book. Um, but that was really helpful for me, um, as well as like little quotes from like Dallas Willard. Uh, I think he said something like, I'm convinced that God is going to let anybody who can possibly stand it into heaven. Anybody who can possibly handle it, he's going to let them into heaven. So good. Uh, Andrea, you have a question too. Can you, can you talk about that? I did this differently, so I couldn't find the unmute. That's okay. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say I found your message to be really life-giving. Oh, I want to make a comment first in leading up to my question. Okay. Um, and I've realized I've been thinking a lot lately about, like, how as a younger Christian, I probably identified a lot more with, like, people who Jesus was merciful to. And then, like, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I identify with, like, a Pharisee or someone like that. And I realized I was like, maybe being, I don't think like unduly harsh, but just like when you think a lot about social justice and you think about all the ways you're complicit in systems that are really oppressive to other people and like that you're never doing enough every day to like really live out the kingdom of God. I don't know. I think I didn't realize like how much judgment I was feeling. Mm. And like within the last week, I well, you preach a sermon and then I, I really like the pray as you go podcast. And, um, one of the, one of the messages or one of the, I don't know, meditations, I guess for the week they talked about, it was like when the rich young ruler came to Jesus. And even though, you know, on, on the one hand you could read it as like a really harsh word that Jesus gave him, but, but they kind of encouraged you to like hear the mercy that Jesus and the compassion Jesus spoke in that. And so I just, I don't know, I was meditating on that. Um, just like, even as we feel like 
areas where we maybe deserve judgment, like how compassionately Jesus looks upon us and is always calling us to, you know, living out differently, but also just working in our lives. Um, but that, okay. So that's kind of connected to my question, <laughs> I think. Um, cause I had been thinking about also that, you know, like, because we're in more dominant type context, more privileged, um, I think it's, for me, it's easier to read like, well, of course, when judgment comes, it's like, I'm the high being brought low. I'm not like the low being brought high. And then I thought, but like for the people who are really marginalized in the world, like that judgment is a message of hope because like, oh, well, finally this world that we're like being oppressed in is going to be made right. And so I, I mean, I just thought of like Nancy and Josie because I know you all have like spent time in context where people live in those worlds. So just like maybe how those people process like judgment differently or maybe the same. So that's all. That was my question. That's <laughs> huge. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's huge because the people you're describing, Andrea, is the people for whom these scriptures are written. And by whom they were written. And by whom they are written. Yeah. Yes, that's, oh, that's, yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say, because, like, the people who wrote scripture were, you know, they were, you were saying before, like, they're being persecuted, or, like, the Jews in Egypt, like, the Jews under Assyria, the Jews under Babylon, the Jews under Rome, like, it's, they were, they were marginalized people, so, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that, I think that's right, like, the message of judgment, like, we have to sort of, like, like, get into a different headspace, you know, most of us, because we come from dominant, you know, uh, a dominant position, right? Um, but it's, it's much easier for a marginalized person, I think, to hear the good news of judgment, to be like, finally, I, like, finally, finally things are going to be fair, you know? Uh, Nancy, Josie, uh, you know, Andrea mentioned you guys, I don't know, you guys have a perspective on this coming from some, some different cultures? Josie, why don't you go ahead first? She refuses. She refuses. She shook her head. She shook her head uh, vehemently. She vehemently shook her head. Vigorous, yeah. Vigorously. Vigorously. Yeah, yeah. I think you're first, Nancy. I think that's what I'm first. Okay, yeah. then, you're just, then you're next, Josie. Then you're next, Josie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's a very good observation, Andrea, um, because it is so true. When, when people um, read the Psalms of Lament, um, the people that I've been with in Africa and Myanmar, um, even parts of the Philippines. Um, it's a completely different way of reading the Psalms of Lament. It's mm. a completely different way of um, uh, interacting with these passages from the New Testament as well. Um, yes, you're mm. absolutely right. They, they take it as this is our world and, and, and Jesus is coming back and, and things will be different when that happens because it's a hard life. It's a really hard, uh, hard life. Um, we don't understand it at all. I can't enter into their space. Yeah. I can sit there and um, and hold um, gently their tears yeah. uh, when they when they read and sing. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I agree. I was actually. Um, less thinking about my time growing up in Africa and actually more of my time in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And um, just remembering the Middle Eastern Christians that I met there, <laughs> just yeah. like, you know, we just have no idea. <laughs> um, 
what they face day to day and just the injustices that they feel at a political level, a social level, emotional, physical level. And um, they just embody just Jesus, our Prince of Peace, so beautifully, you know? And um, yeah, for them, like judgment is hope, you know, that things will be set right for them mm. in like a very unique way, right? Um, and like they trace their heritage like back to like the apostles, <laughs> yeah. you know, their entire families. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's actually what I was thinking of and just how like they beautifully like represent Christ's peace and are like, yeah. seem to embody that hope. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah I a, think that's... about them daily. <laughs> do you really? Wow. I do. I do. Thank, thank you, guys. That's beautiful um, perspective. Important, uh, important for us to hear. So, uh, I want to commend. I want to commend to you guys um, uh, the podcast that uh, that we just Matt and I interviewed a guy named Brad Jerzak today. Well, not today. It, the, the the podcast came out today that we interviewed. It was several weeks ago. Um, we talked to him about. Um, he's an East, Eastern Orthodox guy, converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, but um, just talked about learning to trust that God is love. And what we're talking about here, especially, um, Andrea, what you mentioned earlier about, you know, you identify with those that Jesus shows mercy to. And then, like, as you think about social justice, you're more like, oh, I'm a Pharisee, that kind of thing. I, and I think I had this on one of my coaching calls today where um, I think sometimes we can conflate the the feelings of guilt and shame we have about our wrongdoing we conflate that with the judgment of jesus we think that's jesus pointing out what's wrong with us right and we think like oh man this you know jesus is loving me here by judging me right um but i i actually don't think that's i think that's our that's our conscience that's our you know neurosis or whatever like but it's not really jesus <laughs> um and brad I, i'd love for you to listen to here i'll put a link to it in the in the uh, notes there, if you guys don't have that in your podcast player. But um, Brad told a couple stories. Uh, Brad, and his theology got, got, got turned around on this, not because he went and studied it, you know, or he wanted it to change, or he wanted to say that God was love or something like that, but because of his work with, um, uh, with, with people, victims of uh, sexual assault, um, sex trafficking, things like that. So he, he worked with like really, really broken people. Uh, for a long time in terms of like uh, inner healing prayer ministry. Um, And I was struck by um, two stories that he shared. Uh, One was from the perspective of a, of a victim. And, and he was just sharing that like in in this inner healing prayer model, like you invite Jesus to like show you just to speak to you and show you where he was when, you know, you're, you're, when uh, what was happening to you was happening. Um. And he said, invariably, Jesus is merciful, he's kind, and he is shown suffering with the person who's suffering. Like that, that's what, that's the good news that they hear is Jesus was suffering with me. And so he, he said, they, they turned their ministry towards saying like, we should try this with perpetrators too. You know, perpetrators of sexual violence. And you know, because he said, like, nobody is effective in that space. Like, it's very, very difficult um, to find, especially, and these are like, you know, these are like, like hard people, right? So it's like, it, it, it's tough stuff. 
Are you but talking anyways, about are you talking about bad hombres? Bad, yeah, right. Something like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just to, just to, just so you know. Um uh what was I gonna say? Oh, and you know, he said he was sitting with this with this perpetrator and um you know, he said, okay, share with me what, you, what you've done. You know, like, like, what do you want to talk about? And he said, the guy shared with him, you know, what he'd done. And, you know, he said he, he was angry with him. You know, he, he, was, he, was, he was angry. He was about, you know, this guy. But he said, I kind of held it together and I invited him and said, do you want to bring this to Jesus? You know, and, and bring it to him on the cross. And so, and he was saying that that's the act of repentance. Like the willingness to bring it to Jesus is repentance. You've already done it. And uh, he said, so he invited him into this. And he said, I was hoping that God was going to let him have it. <laughs> you know, like, just like he goes, if I ever wanted a wrathy God, like to show up, this was it. Like, I wanted this guy to hear how terribly he had behaved and how awful he was. And he said, but Jesus didn't show up like that. Um, he said, oftentimes in the, the, the pictures that people get in these experiences that Jesus is standing next to the cross. He said, but this guy saw him on the cross. And he said, tell Jesus what you've done. And so he speaks it out to Jesus. And then Jesus uh, speaks to him and says, I forgive you. And the guy said back to him, that was too easy. And Jesus said back to him, no, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, that like blew me away. It still like impacts me uh, tremendously. Um, and I think what I'm taking away from it is for the, for the person on the bottom, judgment is, Christ is suffering with you and he's going to make it right. Right. And for the, the, the person on the top or the, you know, the worst of uh, like sinners, like the, the perpetrators of violence, you know um, for those people, judgment is uh, it's not wrath, but it's forgiveness, but it's like this costly forgiveness where for him, judgment was seeing Christ on the cross and seeing that Christ was suffering what he had perpetrated, but Christ forgives him. You know what I mean? That ben, blew me away. Then that is Luke 18. That is John 8. Yeah. That is what Jesus does for Zacchaeus. And that is mm -hmm. what Jesus does for the woman caught in adultery. Yes. He suffers the scorn and derision on their behalf of the entire community. He shames himself with their shame. He outdoes their shame. Yeah. And then, and, and his inclusion of them, mm -hmm. like, like brings them to a place of trusting him for forgiveness. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the, that's the embodied contextual outworking of that logic in two places, at least in the gospels yeah. that just occurred to me as you said that. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me then connects this other uh, theme, which is like uh, the final judgment, you know, the day, the day of judgment, the second coming when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead that's not going to be something different than what he's always been doing, right? That's not going to be something separate from what he does in our lives every day. You know, it's just the final and complete sort of uh, fulfillment of it. So, so anyway, uh, the whole podcast is, um, is beautiful. Brad has a way of uh, embodying and speaking about um, God's, the gospel uh, that just like, that had me in tears today. It's just, just re-listening to it. I mean, I interviewed, Matt and I interviewed the guy. <laughs> and so, uh, but I listened to it again and I was like, oh, I forgot that he said that. That's amazing. So anyway, I commend it to you. Uh, good. Uh, let's go.
can we go to Joel? Joel, uh, tell us a little bit more about your question uh, or your comment there. I don't know if there's more to say about it, but. What did I say? Yeah. <laughs> what have I um, said? I guess I was thinking about um, going back to Matthew 25 and the separation and, and Matt brought up the fact that um, Jesus is talking about, um, like for Jesus, he's, he's talking about those who are, those who are on this side and those who are on that side are, it, are, it's depend on how they decided to participate or not participate in the kingdom of God. Like yes. clothing, clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and giving a drink to the thirsty. And like, that's, that's what Jesus, <laughs> that's what Jesus is about. That's the proclaim. That's the kingdom that he has come to proclaim. And we either we're, we're, we either believe it and decide to participate in it yes. and experience that, or we, or we decide not to participate in it. Yes. That's great, man. That's a really good insight. That it, it's not a checklist of rules that are arbitrary, right? Yeah. It, it's like, it's like, a, uh, like, a, like a list of illustrations that are like off the top of your head. Well, so for example, kingdom people would do this and this and this, you know, rather than like God's devising specific rules that you have to follow to get into heaven. Yeah. It's yeah. more like he's describing the people of the kingdom do these kinds of things. So the separating the sheep and the goats is, is more like, turning on the light and letting everybody see what's always been, you know, like revealing it for what it truly is, you know, yeah. taking off the masks, just showing things for what they actually are. Yeah. Which is another way that judgment gets talked about in the early church as well, quite a bit. Like judgment is the revealing of what's actually real. You know, it's, it's shouting from the rooftops, what has been done in the, done in the dark, you know, that's good. Good. Josie, uh, tell me, tell, ask your question. Tell us more about what you're wondering now. Yeah, I'm, um, I think that this is really great news. Um, and I'm thinking about how that could actually impact my day-to-day -day relationships with people. Hmm. Right? And um, how I judge people. <laughs> <laughs> invites me into um, maybe an, a, a new way, right? Of having communion with people that maybe I feel like have wronged me, right? Mm. Um, so that's interesting. But then I've also, I'm also thinking at like that macro level, right? Like what this could look like um, when like the new kingdom is here, yeah. right? Um, and I'm especially thinking of like our current criminal justice system that just kind of came to mind for me because I think even as American Christians, our theology gets um, inserted into this American system we've created, which is very penal, um, very judgmental, doesn't allow people to move past their mistakes, um, labels people for life um, based on the worst things that they've done. And I was just thinking, like, how beautiful would it be, like, this um, image of judgment 
that you're presenting that I think is true. How beautiful would it be if like that's what people had in our current criminal system, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I was just like thinking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So. Yeah. I love, I love where your mind goes, Josie. I really do. <laughs> like it is no it's great it's so it's uh i don't know the word i want to say is beautiful it's, it's beautiful how uh you want to see how this works out and you like you're like all right how about in the american justice system like <laughs> it's awesome right. You know? right well i think like, too you know i also was thinking about it because i listened to the podcast today the brad Zerzak one yeah and yeah. i was reflecting on like I don't know, as he was talking, he was reminding me of the times where I have felt Jesus like the most um, mm. vocationally. And when I worked for this criminal justice nonprofit, it was not a Christian nonprofit, but I felt Jesus every day mm. because I felt like they did this thing where they um, loved people, mm. right? Um, and they acknowledged people for what, like, what they had yeah. done, but it wasn't like all of who people were. Yeah. Right. And I just always felt like that was Christ's judgment. And I always thought of like Jesus on the cross, like inviting the prisoner crucified with him into the kingdom, like right yeah. then, you yeah. know, like not only will I remember you, but you'll be with me, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, and for me, like, that was his, like, his judgment and bringing him into the fold. And so I just, like, yeah. desire that yeah. for all of us. Um, yeah. But especially, and I desire that for the perpetrators, yes. right, um, that Brad was talking about today. So yeah. anyway. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, that's the kind of, like, that's the kind of imagination we need for the new heavens and new earth. So I think you're going to have a lot of responsibility in uh, new creation. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually serious about that. <laughs> which I'm fine with. That's great. No, that's good. Ah, it's really good. Yeah. Cause go, you know, just the way that we think about justice in, in America, just because of where we're at is it's retributive. It's kind of what you're describing, like retributive justice. Like you did a wrong thing. We're going to punish you for that. But then like, we're just going to grind you into powder. Like you're never going to recover. That's kind of how the system works. Right. Um, or, you know, how we think, it's supposed to go. Um, but the justice and the judgment that God brings is restorative, that the, the goal behind it is always healing. Um, it's always something more to do, which is, I mean, that, that's part of the intriguing thing to me about Revelation 21, 22. Like there's these hints that like, okay, this is an end, right? Like the, the kingdom has been established in this new way that wasn't there before and resurrection has happened. But then like the leaves of the tree, of life are for the healing of the nations, which implies that there's still sickness out there, right? Like there's something still wrong. And even, you know, the, the gates are never shut, but yet outside are these people that don't want to come in, you know? And so is the invitation just open indefinitely, you know, like, will there be healing missions, you know, with all these leaves going out to do restorative judgment and justice, you know, out in the various corners of the world? Um, sounds fun to me. I think it'd be, I think it'd be awesome. So what's interesting about that is it's intentionally provocative, but also intentionally vague. 
Like there's, there's a, there's, you know what I mean? It's enough yeah. to provoke your imagination to question, but it's not enough to give you like surefire certainty about what exactly is happening or why it's like that. And I, and that, that space of wonder, W O N D E R and curiosity and hopefulness and expectancy without this like agenda necessarily or like this thing i think is intentional i think it's intentional dare dare we hope it's a big uh, big old book by hans von baltazar that talks about that Uh, just sort of every christian should hope for universal salvation (laughs) you know even if you don't believe it'll happen like we should hope for that of course we should you know why wouldn't we hope that all that's what God hopes for. That's what God longs for. Yeah. Yeah, good. What, what else is popping for you guys as you think about this? I, I've got these, uh, these two other questions that, that relate to the cosmology that I talked about. But I don't know if you guys have questions about the cosmology of, that's implied in the ascension <laughs> or not. So I, I just want to make sure we're – I mean, I could talk about that for just a few minutes, but uh, – are there other things for you guys who are on this call that you want to talk about that you want to ask questions about? All right. Well, let me, let me talk. I don't know if we're going to get a chance to do this. And so in the rest of the sermons, so I'll, I'll just put it here. Um, but what I hinted at with the cosmology, and Matt talked about this a little bit in the, in the beginnings part, right? We talked about the ways we have of conceiving of heavens and the earth and how that all works together. Um, but the, the ancient cosmology, actually thinking about the Narnia books, is a, is a pretty decent way of getting a handle on how the ancient world saw heaven and earth and how they related to each other. They were much more like two different uh, sort of worlds that intersected and interlocked and overlapped with each other in, in kind of strange and mysterious ways. Um, they didn't see them as separate locations that you go to, you know, so heaven wasn't far away. Heaven was everywhere, but you know, you couldn't just access it by walking into the next room. You know, sometimes it, it hit you over the head. Sometimes there's special places where it seems to be, you know, and so th- they had this theology of the overlap of heaven and earth. Right. And so the tabernacle, is, is a space like any ancient temple is a space where heaven and earth are together that they overlap. Right. And so if you ever watch any sci-fi, like it's kind of like a stargate <laughs> uh, where, you know, it connects two different worlds, um, that kind of thing. And so, uh, so all like the, w- when we read the, he ascended to heaven, like we think of Jesus kind of going up into space. Um, but the ancients wouldn't have thought of that. They would have thought of him ascending to his throne. Right. So like your kids, when they go up a grade, like they don't float into the air to fifth grade. Like, no, they're like, they're ascending to fifth grade. And so that's how they saw Jesus ascending into heaven. It wasn't like going up necessarily. It was like him moving in his physical body from earth into, into heaven. Right. And then like the way that I've always imagined it, I don't know if this is uh, what, I don't know what this is. Um, it's kind of a fanciful way of imagining it, but heaven and earth, like, you know, they, they, they overlapped and then they, they were sort of torn asunder a little bit by what we call the fall, right? That kind of thing where there's this, there's this overlap, but it's not completely overlapping. 
And I, I see like Jesus coming, like Jesus coming from heaven to earth, like in, in the incarnation, kind of like the one, the one stitch. And then he goes back to heaven with his physical body. So he's got some earth, right? He carries earth with him now forever. And he carries earth into heaven. And in so doing, carries all of us with him. And so now he's in heaven. And then the, the, the second coming is going to be the final stitch where he comes back to like stitch this whole thing together fully where heaven and earth will get married. They'll fully overlap. We'll be trans like we'll, we'll be with God. You know what I mean? Face to face. There'll be no more barrier. There'll be no more struggle. There'll be no more, you know? So anyway, that's the way I think about it. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's helpful for people um, to think of heaven less as going up uh, and more of like, you know, just moving into God's space that sometimes we have access to, you know, we come, we come to the table and we're like, okay, this is, this is, this is heaven a little bit here. Like I'm encountering something of the Lord, but eventually we're going to be seen face to face because Jesus has done this work of stitching these worlds together and bringing us this, this is the reconciliation of all things. Um, so, so anyway, we can end on that note. I don't know if anybody has any thoughts um, or questions. Ben, is that, is that like the, in Celtic spirituality, is like the idea of thin places? Yeah. Just where heaven and earth meet, and sometimes yes. it just surprises us, and we're like, yes. wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very, very much the same kind of a thing, where it's, a, it's a, in Celtic spirituality, a thin place is, is a physical location where heaven seems to be closer than in other places, right? More consistently. And they're oftentimes like church buildings, essentially like places where people have intentionally connected with heaven over a long period of time, which I find really fascinating, right? That there's, it's not just like individual human souls that are connecting with heaven, but maybe there's something about like even these stones, that these stones have been so drenched in heaven that they just carry heaven with them, you know, for the rest of their life, you know, and the, and the soil underneath our feet, maybe like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a little too new age for some of you, but that's kind of how I look at it. It's almost like it's all connected. It's almost like it's all connected. It's almost like God cares about everything. It's not strange. just. You. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, what you see in the, the fall and the curse that Matt preached about, right. Is as humans go, so goes creation. So go the animals. So goes creation. And so there's, there's a sense in which, and this is, C.S. Lewis does this brilliantly in the Narnia series as well, where he, he's like, when a human is reigning over Narnia, things are okay, right? But when humans abdicate that responsibility or a witch takes over, like, it's not okay. Like, the whole creation suffers um, unless a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve is ruling and reigning over Narnia. It was, and it was very intentional on C.S. Lewis's part. He was trying to evoke a picture for us of, of our responsibility. Tolkien did the same thing too, by the way, like Tolkien's, Tolkien's view of, of like stewardship of creation is kind of embodied in the elves, the way that they built their structures and they were sort of like built into the stone or built into the woods. So the wood elves lived very differently than the stone elves because or the river elves, because they had different material to work with and they honored the nature of the material they were working with. And he contrasts that with the orcs, right? And Sauron and Saruman, who were just like wantonly destroying forests to build forges so they could build these metal weapons to, you know, to cover all the lands in darkness. So that was a very intentional thing on Tolkien's part as well.
All right. Anything else, guys? Any final comments or questions or thoughts? I just wanted to tell you that on Sunday, so right after the message, I had lunch with a girlfriend and I was telling her about the message. And um, I mean, we sat there for three hours. We didn't realize mm. it. <laughs> we were there. <laughs> but she said, um, I don't know a lot of women who I could talk with about hell and judgment and it'd be a normal thing. So, <laughs> thank you for helping it be a normal thing yeah. for us to talk about these things, guys. Yeah. Yes. Appreciate you both. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I, uh, I appreciate, um, I appreciate uh, the freedom uh, that I have in this community to, uh, to lead in the way that I, that I lead here. I was just thinking about this the other day, um, that there's so, much, there's so much that I can do with you um, that I would be, I just couldn't do in other ministry contexts, right? It would just cause too much kerfuffle, too much misunderstanding, too much, you know what I mean? Like, I could, you know, but I find like, I, uh, I trust, I just trust you guys a lot. And I'm super grateful for, for, for y'all, you know, the way that you've, uh, are creating a community with us where we can be real with each other and find God's grace. It's beautiful. And and you all are part of it. So. Hey, can I give a pitch for this Sunday? Sure, sure. Preview of coming attractions. <laughs> you can, you'll get your whole seat, but you only need the edge. Um, Go. We're going to talk about the resurrection of the body, First Corinthians fifteen, and how this specifically does a couple things. It works against uh, the, the Platonic dualism that we still live with, which is matter is less important than spirit. Mm. Um, and how the resurrection of the body declares uh, finally that matter matters. Um, but also, too, uh, we're going to talk about our bodies and how part of our living between the resurrection of the body and dealing with bodies that still decay is learning how to deal with all of the ways that um, death impacts our bodies now. So not just disease and not just decay, but also things like shame and abuse and things like that. So we need to, we need to develop a robust theology of the body that uh, reclaims the, the created purpose of our bodies, but also declares that um, there isn't this bifurcation between matter and spirit. Mm-hmm that Plato would have us want to believe. But, but that um, there's a mingling of matter and spirit so that the Jesus who passes through walls can say, put your hand in my hole. Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. And that like wounds remain, but they are overcome. You know, just like, what does that mean? So that's where we're going this week. Lovely. I'm I'm gonna come. I was uh, I was gonna just go for a hike, but now I'm coming. You're on the fence about it? Yeah. I was on the fence. So yep. now I'm coming. All right. uh, guys, really grateful uh, to you, your participation in these classes and in our community. We will catch you on the flip side, which is something that I think 
the Fresh Pints said in the 90s. So anyway, that's all I got. Peace, y'all. <laughs>